team this morning. I'm going to walk and talk. I can do two things at once, I promise. And then I stop talking, and you're like, you can't. You can't. It's always uh, a lot of fun for me to uh, preach uh, on Sunday mornings like this where we have all the kids. It's also, you guys, it's also very scary uh, because I can't top that. You know what I'm saying? Like, those kids are so cute, and now you're looking at me. And you're like, this is not what I signed up for. All you grandparents especially are like, can we leave now? Are the kids coming back? Or can we go? And No. Uh, it is a joy. We have such a great uh, kids staff here at the bridge. Obviously, we have so many amazing volunteers. We have volunteers who are with uh, all of our kiddos right now. And they serve uh, throughout the year. And they do such a nice job in Kids Connection. But we also have an amazing staff. You saw Pastor Bep. But we also have uh, Teresa and Patty who are behind the scenes a little bit more. But they do such an amazing job. And Patty actually uh, pulls double duty here at the church because she uh, works with the kids on Sunday mornings and is one of the uh, coordinators uh, for our kids' ministry here at the church. But she also teaches in the preschool. She teaches in the preschool. So we have weekday preschool here at the bridge, and uh, Patty is in the three-year-old class, uh, which is, God bless her, right? Um, I have a, a child in the three-year-old class. Uh, the little boy who was showing off his belly right here. Um, that's Abram, man. That's mine. And, uh, and, and we love it. Uh, but there's a thing that they do in three-year-old preschool, and it's uh, snack day. You're the snack leader. And when you're the snack leader, your parent gets to come to the class and hang out for a few hours in the class. So uh, Abram was the snack leader a while ago, and so I went to the class. And I think there's probably 12 kids in there, but it seemed like 33-year-olds is what it seemed like to me. It was crazy. Uh, but three-year-olds are amazing because they have so much imagination. You go into that classroom, and if you can just suspend your, your adultness for a little while, you can become an archaeologist digging for dinosaurs in the sand table. You can become the foreman of a construction uh, crew playing with blocks and miniature bulldozers. You, you can become a Hollywood movie star in the uh, dress-up zone. You can become a titan of industry in the little uh, pretend office that they have over there with like old flip phones. Those kids think flip phones are like the coolest thing ever. Uh, but they just like build reality in the three-year-old preschool. And if you can go in and you can just suspend the baggage that you've accumulated on your way to adulthood, you can be swept away. And before you know it, you can actually start to believe with those kids that maybe, just maybe, anything really is possible. So this morning, uh, we are continuing our Advent series in Isaiah called Foreshadowing the Light. Foreshadowing the Light. And we've been looking at these ancient prophecies and poems and looking at the ways that they pointed out of their original context and pointed toward a future uh, of Jesus. They pointed toward the birth of Jesus, the birth of the Messiah. And we have been uh, talking so far about the task of Advent being to take an honest look at the brokenness of the world. We talked about how uh, we'd like to have uh, four weeks of partying leading up to the big party, but that really to appreciate what happens on Christmas morning, to appreciate the birth of Jesus, first we have to recognize that there was something that needed to be fixed. Jesus came to fix the world, but in order to uh, recognize and celebrate that, we have to realize that the world needed fixed in the first place. And so part of Advent, part of our task for Advent is looking at the brokenness of the world and, and realizing that this is not the way that God intended things to be. And then last week, we talked about how the words of Isaiah reverberate throughout history, how, how the words of Scripture always belong to the past, 
the present and the future. And we talked about how the future uh, foreseen by Isaiah was about Jesus. But even today, we have a future that is foreseen by Isaiah, and that is about the kingdom of God. And we are always being pulled toward this idea of the kingdom of God, this kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace. And so this week, we are going to look at Isaiah chapter 11, and we're going to get a very clear picture of what this kingdom of God looks like. What is it that so captured the imagination of the prophet in Isaiah that he couldn't help but write all this down and speak all this? And what was so captivating about this that the early church took that, uh, those words from Isaiah that were written so many centuries before and said, these must be about Jesus because the whole world has changed. There's something so captivating about the kingdom of God. So we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 11. And like all of the passages we've looked at through this series, we are going to look at a passage of hope that comes hot on the heels of some pretty harrowing words of judgment that were given to Israel. This is the, this is the play of Isaiah, judgment followed by hope. And we're landing in the hope passages uh, this Advent season, but it comes on the heels of some judgment. The people of God had not lived into their identity as the people of God, and now trouble had come to their doorstep. But God never leaves us without hope. And so we're going to pick up our passage today as the prophet tells Israel what that future hope can look like. <clears throat> so we're going to be in chapter 11 of Isaiah, and the words will be up on the screen this morning. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of understanding and of wisdom, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but, righteous, but with righteousness he will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. Now we're going to skip down to verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this spring, uh, I cut down some lilac bushes in my backyard. I don't like to do that because lilac bushes are very beautiful, but these had become overgrown. They were all tangled up. They were huge. They were uh, kind of causing our deck to rot a little bit. They were retaining a little too much moisture, and they had stopped blooming. And at the point where lilac bushes stopped blooming, cut them down. They're, they're useless to you now. So I cut them all down, and I tossed them all in the brush pile in my backyard, and then I thought, that's that. I felt pretty good about it. And a few months later, I come back and look at these lilac bushes, and what is happening? They are growing new shoots. What I thought I had left dead is not dead at all, and it's growing new shoots. The stumps of the lilac bushes had begun to sprout new branches. So today's passage opens up with a similar kind of a picture. From the stump of Jesse, there has suddenly appeared a new shoot. This is the vision of the prophet uh, in the book of Isaiah, that there is a new shoot coming up from the stump of Jesse. The stump of Jesse here is referring to the line of King David. David was the son of Jesse. And so the line, the kingly line of Israel went through Jesse's family because it went through King David. And so uh, the prophet here is saying David is the son of Jesse and David's sons have ruled over centuries, uh, ruled over Israel for centuries. But now the time has come for that line of David to end. 
the bulk of the book of Isaiah is about the judgment that God is bringing on Israel and the judgment specifically against this royal lineage of David, this tree of Jesse, if you think in these biblical kinds of terms. And that judgment came because the kings who have come after David did not govern as God had intended. God laid out the rules, the framework for what good governance looked like in Israel, uh, and those things were not followed by the kings. The king was supposed to be wise, to be fair and impartial. The king was supposed to rule with justice and righteousness, was supposed to take care of the needy and the poor, as the passage we just read pointed out. This is what the king was supposed to do. But David's descendants were just the opposite. They had led their nation to destruction, and now the line of David, the line of Jesse, had been cut off and left a dead stump. That's the picture that we start this passage with. The line of David, this kingly line, this royal idea of Israel is dead, and it has been left just a stump until the Spirit of God intervenes. This is the promise of God that we have talked about over the past two weeks of this series. Even when things seem their darkest, even when the tree has been cut down to a stump and left for dead, even when things seem like there's no improvement, there's nothing that can happen here, we are in the worst and most dire situation possible. Even in that space, God never abandons God's people. Even in the midst of suffering, there is hope. And so Isaiah here sheds light on what that hope will look like. The hope that not only will Israel be redeemed, but that the line of David can and will be salvaged. This is not just, and it's hard for us to imagine the power of these words today because we don't have kings, right? We don't have a royal lineage. Uh, But for Israel, this idea of the Davidic king line, the line of David having kings, this is part of their national identity. So a strong nation means having a king that is part of this Davidic line, the tree of Jesse. And so uh, it's not good enough to just say, you'll get your nation back. They would think, that's great that we'll have our nation back, but what about our king? What about our monarch? What about that line of David that was supposed to rule over us forever? And so the prophet is saying, this is more than just you'll get your nation back. This is more than just a future hope for you as a people. This is a hope that the line of David will not just be restarted, but that it will be restored. That which was broken, that which was dead, that which couldn't hold itself up anymore is going to be restored. That's the promise that God makes, and it was a promise that endured in the imagination of the nation of Israel until the birth of Jesus. And that's why when the gospel writers sat down to write about Jesus, they sat down and wrote genealogies that very explicitly and specifically said, this guy comes from the line of David. All of those hopes for the line of David, all of those hopes for the restoration of Israel, all of those hopes for who we are as a people and our identity, all of those hopes come true in Jesus. The gospel writers are very specific to say, Jesus is part of this Line. He is the shoot that has now grown up from the stump of Jesse. Jesus was the king that Israel had been waiting for. Jesus was the answer to the question that the prophets had been asking for centuries. Jesus was the one on whom the spirit of the Lord came and rested. And that was good news for Israel. This was to the early church who were all Jewish people. This was the best news that they could have possibly imagined for the disciples of Jesus, for the gospel writers. This is it because this is good news for Israel. And through Israel, they believed the world could be redeemed. And that is what this passage 
points to. Yes, it's good news for Israel, but it's also good news for the whole world. In the vision of Isaiah, the future king, the root of Jesse, would not only rule over Israel, but would stand as a banner for all people. It says the nations will rally to him. Now we have gone from this myopic view of just Israel as the center of all things to this view that the world will be blessed through Israel. The world will be blessed by this Messiah, this new king, who we know today is Jesus. Jesus who rules over everything. And his rule is so powerful and so pervasive that it changes the very fabric of the world as we know it. The rule of Jesus is so unlike any other rule, any other reign, any other authority that we could have, that it actually changes the very fabric of reality. It changes who we are, and it changes the type of world that we can make and the type of world that we can choose to live into. That is what the kingship of Jesus does. And so Isaiah, to illustrate this, chooses a picture and a, 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 a symbol to describe it with the relationships between animals. He's going to say something that to us seems impossible. So we skip some verses. We're going to go back now. This is Isaiah 11, uh, verse 6. This is the description of what life will be like under this king. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So last month, uh, Disney released their streaming service, Disney Plus. And if you have kids, you, you have this now. You've signed up. Congratulations. Uh, this is meant to uh, compete with Hulu and Netflix and other streaming providers. Uh, but Disney, you know, they got how many years worth of movies and they figured they'd have a jump up. But a big part of their marketing uh, for why people should buy Disney Plus was they were going to have a brand new live action Star Wars TV show, which I had no interest in, obviously. Um, no, I love Star Wars. It's called The Mandalorian. And uh, it follows this guy who is uh, a hardened bounty hunter, right? This guy has a mysterious past and a quick trigger finger. He has violence left in his wake, right? Like the Mandalorian is like apex predator. Uh, this is like the setup for the show. And so in the first episode, uh, he's supposed to track down and possibly even kill a bounty. If you haven't watched the show, uh, close your eyes and plug your ears. It's spoiler city right now, okay? Just, I, that was your warning, okay? The Mandalorian is going to kill this bounty. He's going to go and get this. He's going to get all the money that he ever dreamed about getting. And he goes, and what he finds can only be called Baby Yoda. Give me Baby Yoda, Kevin. Right? That's the only response one can have when they look at Baby Yoda. So at this point, the show should be called Baby Yoda because it's no longer about the Mandalorian uh, bounty hunting. It is about the Mandalorian protecting Baby Yoda. This becomes like his purpose in life is to protect this baby. Uh, the bounty hunter, this criminal with a violent past and a quick trigger finger becomes the protector of this innocent, adorable 50-year-old child. Yes. <laughs> and a million memes are born. Um, in a similar but very different way, 
that's the vision that Isaiah provides about the kingdom of God. Under the reign of King Jesus, animals that were once hunters, violent predators, are now lying down with and living in peace with the most vulnerable animals. Those animals that were all about killing, all about hunting, all about destroying, those animals uh, that lived their lives governed by that rule are now laying down in peace with some of the most vulnerable animals that exist. This is the picture of what life is under the reign of King Jesus. And this is such a radical idea to us. It's so absolutely unbelievable that we look at these words and we think, yes, won't that be great someday in heaven when that's true. We take these words, we take this prophecy, and we relegate it to being only about a future point that we will experience in heaven. This idea is too far-fetched. It's too unrealistic for us to hear it or experience it or understand it in any other way. The picture makes no sense. And so we have to believe that that is possible, but it can only be possible in heaven. And taken at their most literal, that's true about these words. This is not something that we are going to see on this side of heaven. Uh, Lions are not suddenly going to lay down with lambs. It's just not going to happen. Taken at its most literal, that is true. Any hope of this happening belongs to heaven. But for the prophet Isaiah, these words are also painting a picture and standing as a powerful symbol of what is possible here and now because Jesus has come and because Jesus is king. Isaiah wants us to look beyond the literal sense of these words, beyond the literal idea of a lion and a lamb laying together, and see the symbol that stands at the root of the concept. Isaiah is inviting us to imagine the world as Jesus would intend it to be, to live in a way that says Jesus is the king, and that has changed everything. Theologian Walter Brueggemann, who I told you would get quoted every uh, week, is going to get quoted again. And he describes these words like this. He says, this poem is about deep, radical, limitless transformation in which we, like lion, wolf, and leopard, will no longer hunger for injury, no need to devour, no yearning for brutal control, no passion for domination. The rightly governed world will indeed be detoxified. No more a threat to the poor, the meek, the children, the lamb, the kid. The new world will indeed be safe for the vulnerable. This is the kind of world that God told us he was intending when he sent Jesus. God told the world that this was the kind of kingdom Jesus would bring, a world that is safe for the vulnerable, a kingdom of radical and limitless transformation, when he chose to come as a baby born in a barn. This was the type of kingdom that God was telling us he wanted when he chose to announce his arrival, not to the royal family, but to a group of shepherds. This was the world that God told us he intended when he became a refugee fleeing from a violent king who was terrified of losing his power. This is the kind of world that God told us he intended when he was raised by a carpenter and became friends with fishermen and hung out with sinners and talked to women that the world told him to ignore. This was the kind of world that Jesus lived in every single day of his life. And the Gospels are filled to the brim with stories of this kind of world. 
a world where Jesus was living out a radical, transformative type of life dedicated to justice and peace and righteousness. And the people who followed him learned that the things that they thought were impossible or unrealistic, the things that they figured would only be possible someday, uh, far, far away after we were all dead and gone, they learned that those types of things were absolutely possible and absolutely reality because of Jesus. As they lived and walked with Jesus, they grew an imagination for what was possible. They grew an imagination for what the world could be, not just in the future, but right now. In Isaiah's vision, he tells us what it takes to have this kind of imagination. Isaiah gives it to us straight. If this is the world that you want to live in, if this is the world that you want to work for, if you would like to follow Jesus into this world that makes no sense and is unrealistic and seems impossible, if you would like to do that, this is it. Describing the world as God intends it, the prophet wrote, a little child will lead them. A child with an imagination for what things could be instead of what they are. A child, yes, this little girl just said me. That's exactly right. A child who can picture the impossible and make those things a reality. We gotta spend some time in three-year-old preschool we got to spend some time learning from children about a world that's not so broken down and so impossible that we can't imagine what it would be to live as people who love righteousness and who seek justice, people who follow Jesus even when it seems impossible, people who believe that what happened on that first advent is real and that we have a hope, an eternal hope, and a power source that allows us to live in these ways that seem so absolutely impossible to the rest of the world. So will we allow a child to lead us this morning and imagine the world not as it is, but as God intends it to be? A world where the vulnerable are cared for and the powerful set aside their power and sit alongside the powerless. My prayer for us this Advent season is that we could get swept up in that vision of the kingdom of God and caught up in a sense of childlike wonder as we join God in making the impossible a reality. Let's pray. God, you make the impossible possible. God, Christmas season, we come together and we affirm a virgin birth. God, that is impossible. But we believe you made it possible. God, we as a church gather around the reality constantly and remember in our hearts and in our worship services that you rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. God, that's impossible, but you made it possible. Water turns into wine. The blind receive their sight. God, this is impossible, but you made it possible. God, in light of your impossibilities, how can we sit and say, no, it's impossible, God, for this world to change. No, it's impossible, God, for the vulnerable to be cared for. No, it's impossible, God, for us to order a reality the way that Jesus said. It's just not realistic, God. That's not the way that the world works. We couldn't possibly do that. God, how can we stand here during Advent where we affirm some of the greatest impossibilities 
in all of time and believe that anything is impossible with you. God, give us childlike faith this morning and a childlike sense of what the kingdom of God is and the role, God, that you've given us to play in making your world possible. God, we love you. And you don't leave us to do these things out of our own power. God, but you give us everything that we need. And I thank you for that. We pray all this in your name. Amen.